0: Now let's say you win, you beat Gennaro, yeah. which is definitely should beat him, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. They still gotta give you a shot at the title. You know why? Why? Because the same thing as before, there's nobody left, there ain't nobody around. They gotta give you the shot. You understand? If you win, you win. If you lose, you still win. There's no way you can lose, and you do it on your own just the way you wanted to do it, without any help from anybody. You understand? Just get down to 155 pounds, you fat bastard, you stop eating. What's the problem? Stop eating, that's all. You can do it. You don't understand anything. Do you understand
1: that? Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinsky. And I'm Bartek. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing
0: right. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, I'm doing well.
1: How are you? Uh, uh, dang old Boomhauer, yeah. So I'm doing pretty well too.
0: <laughs> yeah, dang, dang old Boomhauer. Uh, oh, man. Man, King of the Hill. Welcome not... to our Mike Judge episode.
1: I wish. Already, we've already done a Mike Judge, so we, we can't go back now. We've done.
0: It sounds like a drug. <laughs> <laughs> we took our daily dose of Mike Judge. Hand me a judge, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, dang old boomer. So, we are spin Polish likingly because we're always spitting. We both happen to be Polish, as you can tell from our names. Ryan is very Polish.
0: Yes, and Bartek is actually Polish.
1: No. Really? I thought you had the Anglo name out of the two of us. I think
0: I got nervous for a second when you said no. I thought you were, like, rejecting me, but it was shock. It was, what, shock and or <gasps> Shock and or. <awe. laughs> oh, no. So, we are doing Pictures Powerwow,
1: the show that is where we talk about movies. That has come recommended. Uh, I recommend the movie for this one. Uh, we are doing... 1980s Raging Bull, directed by Martin Scorsese, the man who knows exactly what he's talking about when it comes to the landscape of modern movies. Uh, We are going to be talking about Raging Bull. Uh, If you have not seen the movie, uh, watch it. Uh, We're going to be talking about it. If you haven't seen it, we're going to talk about it and give away the details and and the mysticism of it, or the wonder... The Spookies. <laughs> I watched it. He watched it. And if he can, you can too. Yes. So, Bartek, what is your history with this movie?
0: Uh, I'd seen it once before doing it for this episode. It was in my, uh, my hospital room when I had my first surgery. I think mm. it was two nights after the surgery. It was in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, Good time to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> In a a shocking twist, a film that I've seen on TV. It feels like something I don't do for this show. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was on the ABC, which is our channel two. I had to wait for two weird shows that I'd never heard of before to finish. Oh, right. Um... I don't even remember what the first one was called and the second one, I don't remember the name either, but I remember the premise. Okay. Um, but that's beside the point. So, I watched this film in the middle of the night in the hospital room. This was after all the drugs had worn off, so I was uh, I was You weren't hopped up on goofballs. No? I was I was actually alive. Yeah. Um, I could walk. Slightly uh, shorter
1: than you were before.
0: Yes, I had less uh, to my uh, body, I guess. Less spine. Less spine, yeah. But less bad spine.
1: <laughs> Every couple of years, Bartek loses a bit more of his spine.
0: Yes, but again, it's bad spine. I, I keep the good spine.
1: You'll be like Hank Hill's dad in... King of the Hill, where he, you know how his shins got shot off, and they just stitched his feet feet to his knees. That's gonna be you with your spine. They're just gonna stitch your neck to your pelvis, and that will be a day. And you will have like arms. <laughs> It'll be great. This I... is the Mike Judge episode. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. So I'd seen the the film. I remember enjoying it, but I didn't really remember much other than a lot of scenes of Joe Pesci visiting his brother to make him try to get with it. Get.
1: Get real. Get real. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So I've seen this movie many times. It's a great film, I think. I can say that straight off the bat. It's a masterpiece. I'll say that straight off the bat as well. Uh, dare I say this film is a masterpiece. And I've seen it uh, only a handful of times, though, because it is one of those films for me in which its brilliance is so unmatched. Um, that it leaves me in such awe of its existence that I don't want to, don't want to revisit it too much. It's one of those ones where it feels like, no, no, now's the time to sit down and watch Raging Bull. Like now's the time. Like, like I'm giving myself a treat.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: well, something like Goodfellas, which I also think is a masterpiece. That one is just, just so like, oh, if it's on, well, I'm in. I'm in. And it's like, I'll put it on any time. I don't know. There's different levels. You know what I'm talking about? When yeah, these yeah, type of course. films. There's different levels of revisibility. Not saying that you can't watch Raging Bull over and over again. You definitely can, but for myself, I like to prolong the experience in between of it all, because I just... It's a real treat when I come back to it. While Goodfellas, say, for instance, is I'm visiting an old friend again. Yeah, I, I,
0: in these kind of situations, I like to throw in the word catharsis where I can. Like, oh, it's mm. cathartic to watch this thing. I can do it any time, whereas this mm. one, you know, I need to give myself an opportunity to appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I would say uh, the for me, Goodfellas is more of obvious entertainment, mm-hmm. and Raging Bull is art. <laughs> Like, well, it's in black and white. So, yeah. Well, it's in black and white, and it's got this opera music. <laughs> and it's got Joe Pesci
0: there were num- punched in the face. <laughs> there were numerous times where I thought Somewhere Over the Rainbow was about to play.
1: Yeah. So, what did you feel about it on this watching of it? Uh, you're no longer in a hospital bed... Late into the night after having someone fiddle about inside of you. Yeah, I was on my couch. You didn't have to wait through two episodes of weird Australian television shows to finally watch a movie that you wanted to see. I really want to know the name
0: of that first show. No one knows. I think it's like Real People or something. Get real, people. <laughs> there was a segment in that show where they sang about like a missing pencil.
1: I, I believe you. It's Australian <laughs> TV. Yeah. So, how did you feel about Raging Bull?
0: I, I enjoyed it and I'm very much looking forward to the rest of this episode so we can you know delve into it some more and I can probably appreciate it a bit more. Yeah, because I, I don't I don't love it, but I, I like it a lot and I'd like to like it more.
1: Well what's holding you back?
0: I guess I guess I need to delve into it a little bit more to appreciate it more. Right. In in a way, this kind of felt like, even though this is, like, his seventh film of however many he's done, yeah. it felt like a little bit of, I guess, familiar territory for Martin Scorsese in a way. Like, tonally, mm-hmm. the fact that this is about a character over a long period of their life and, like, yeah. the the big points of their life. Um, you know, I'd seen that in, like, the, you know, the Irishman, The Wolf of Wall Street, probably to a lesser extent with that one. But it, it did feel like familiar territory, And I'd like to, yeah, focus on the elements that make it unique.
1: I would say this was kind of his first major successful big foray into that type of storytelling. Usually, I haven't seen all of Scorsese's films, so take that with what you will. But I usually remember his films beforehand being more in the moment, like Mean Streets or or After Hours, or Taxi Driver, right? Where it's Mm. like, here it is. You're not getting the full life or rise and fall of an empire, or a man, or this, this, this. Yeah. I understand what you were saying. Actually, when I was watching the movie, there was lots of things I was noticing outside of some of the familiar stuff that we've seen him explore over the years. I was noticing some of the stuff that we no longer see from him Mm -hmm. over the years, or stuff that isn't as... Prevalent, all the things that he's now using that he didn't use in a movie like this, such as narration. He doesn't use narration in Raging Bull, in 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 Goodfellas, in, in Irishman, in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, There's yeah. What's up? Show that guy over there. That's Joey two times. You call him two times because he studies two times, two times, and like you know, what I'm talking yeah, we'll, about. Yeah, and, and Wolf and,
0: of Wall Street, DiCaprio uh, talks to the camera sometimes. As does yeah. as does
1: uh, Ray Liotta in Goodfellas.
0: Does he talk to the camera in that film? Yes, he does. And okay. the
1: at the court scene at the very end, mm-hmm. he, he everything kind of pauses and he's just like, Yeah, so this is we all kinda of fucked up. And he just like looks at us and starts talking to us. And, yes, that's right. Right, and, and and you have the bit at the end with Joe Pesci shooting at the camera and like stuff like that. It's like that wasn't present in this for me with Raging Bull, but I'm glad to have you here talking about it because you have a more fresh take, objective point of view on it. I see this as a masterpiece. There's nothing to me, this film Does everything correct. There's no faults to this film to me. So I have that level of admiration for the film. Mm -hmm. There's no scene that doesn't need to be there. There's no character that doesn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. There's no forced motivations. Everyone acts within their beats. Um, It doesn't feel the need to try and make us like... Any of the main characters? Oh, not at all. (laughs) And in the way, the fact that it's not trying to make us like them makes me like them in a weird way. Like, the film does not try to make Joe Pesci a likable person. But in a way, I found him the most sympathetic character in the entire film. Yeah. But when you look at him objectively, he's a foul-mouthed, racist little dickhead who's... In with the mob and is driven by you know I mean there's there, things, there,
0: there are there are numerous times in the film where it's like oh don't do this man I was on your side for a few things and he may have fucked his brother's wife may yeah, have may have
1: um and he has a mustache at the end so there's things there but at, because the film is just presenting it here it is in a way that makes me endeared to these people and these situations and these characters and that's where i'm at with my love of the film the music is perfect it doesn't do that scorsese thing either or that slash tarantino thing where it's like here's these songs that i like and put them in it's just like scorsese heard some old school music and said this has a real melancholic kind of feel and it feels appropriate for the time period i'm just going to chuck that in let that be the thing Mm. that rides the movie it doesn't have like In Goodfellas, where you have the montage of everyone's dead, and you have, like, the killer song, and, you know, pop song of the time, and all of Mm. that, and uh, I love that aspect, and of course it's a black and white.
0: I was gonna say, the music does suit the black and white as well.
1: Yeah, the black and white aspect, and and cinematography. The the
0: trivia mentions there's, like, a million reasons for the black and white, and it's just one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but in the end of the day, they're all good. (laughs) yeah they all fit they they all fit um so i love the fact
0: also that this isn't a sports movie yeah it's weird that they say it's a sports film just because there's boxing in it
1: (laughs) because i i want to talk to you now you're a big rocky fan
0: Yeah, apparently.
1: (laughs) You've seen them. Once each. You've remembered more about them, and you still are keen to see more of that character than I am. Mm. To me, I was like, Rocky Six, Rocky Balboa, that that film, right? Mm. That was like, okay, that was an unexpected surprise. I was happy to see him, don't need any more. And then the Creed movies come along, and everyone's like, oh, Creed. And you were like, I liked Creed, and I wanted to see the second one, and all that. You have more of an attachment to to that. And, of course, we have to bring up Rocky. Yeah. Because
0: that's... It kicked off a boxing craze.
1: Boxing craze. And this movie is kind of like the antithesis to Rocky in a lot of ways.
0: Uh, The trivia mentioned that word exactly, yeah.
1: It's in black and white... It's not actually about the boxing, or it's not actually about the character striving to succeed using the the sport of boxing. Yeah,
0: apparently there's, like, two hours of footage in this film without any boxing. Yeah, it's, like, ten minutes of boxing in the whole fucking movie,
1: and you barely see some of it. And
0: and none of it's, like, meant to be climactic or anything. It's, like, he doesn't win every fight, but he does well in all of them.
1: Um, so what did you think of raging bull in terms of that aspect when you are kind of familiar with films representing it in the way that rocky does this you know the boxing story is very different in the two of them
0: well it's certainly not an underdog story and it begins isn't
1: it he's trying to make it on his own and they won't
0: let him i guess in the sense it kind of is but it's not like no no i guess it is but um
1: Except for, it has... imagine
0: if Rocky was really abusive to Adrian. <laughs> like, it has scenes of him, like, worrying about training and worrying about his weight and all that, but it's all about the things outside of mm-hmm. those. It's like, when he's obsessing about his weight and people are giving him shit about it, it's more about his attitude, <laughs> things like that. And yeah, his, his his attitude and the way he interprets what he hears is mm. going to be a big part of our discussion. Um but yeah the when the boxing scenes happen as well they they are well shot but there's never really it's it's not like the outcome of this match or it... no
1: it's not about the boxing i mean it's yeah. shot gloriously it is yeah it is
0: but it's not a lot of good close ups
1: oh the the final one with sugar ray and you have the shots where everything guy kind of snaps into that high focus oh my god it's so gorgeous <laughs> But it's not even about that, right? Is You don't give a shit about, is he, he going to get dead? Is he going to beat Sugar Ray Robinson? No, not really. You don't even know Sugar Ray as a character. He's just a guy. Yeah. He's fought once or twice before. You, it, like in the Rocky movies, the, the other ones are characters, like the other boxers. Yeah,
0: they're always the antagonists.
1: Yeah, they're always the antagonists and/or former antagonists who are now friends. You know that yeah. kind of deal, right? They had Apollo's like ha- whole deal. Yeah. Right? They
0: had their film where they were antagonists. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they had their film where they were antagonists, and now now it's their son who gets to fight <laughs> another boxer's son, right? Like yeah. that's the like, yeah, creed so. two. Uh, where Ivan Drago's son is like, I'm going to destroy Apollo's son. That's the whole yeah, plot. That also, yeah, that's what I heard. That's literally the plot. Um yeah, I I I I'm not a huge Rocky fan. But Rocky Rocky is about Rocky, like it's a full-on the spotlight is 100% on him as a character piece and if you, even if you remove the boxing, it's about this schlobby guy who who's trying to pull himself up from where he is, get the girl, and it doesn't matter if he wins or loses, it's about overcoming the hurdles of his situation in life.
0: Yeah, and when you take all the films together, you, like, get different chapters of his life, essentially.
1: And although slightly raging bull has that where it's about this guy who wants to make it on his own and he's he's pulling himself up and he's using his pure talent as a boxer to get his way there but the mob's keeping him down because they don't like this and he he compromises his values by throwing a match and it ruins his career but then he manages to climb back up None of that is important because it's really about a, a toxic parasitic man who ruins everything around him because he is so paranoid and controlling mm. and is just an asshole <laughs>
0: through and through. Yeah, he picks on little things that are said that don't that don't mean what he thinks they mean and he will not let them go and people will get hurt in the process. Including himself. Inclu- well, especially himself.
1: Oh, I know. I, I, I want to say especially everyone else around especially him. Especially everyone
0: else around, but in the in the long term.
1: I mean, yeah, in the long <laughs> term, sure. Because also this movie is they... focusing on him in the long term. Everyone else in the long term we don't get to see because they've left they, him. They bail on him. So, yeah, in the long <laughs> term. And when we see Joe Pesci at the end, he's like this sad little old man who just doesn't want to be touched. <laughs> like he's still traumatized. So that says a lot. Mm. (laughs) Um, How did you feel about De Niro in this? Because as we've gotten older and as he's gotten older... We have an understanding of what De Niro is as an actor now. You know, he's the guy who does the face, and he speaks like this, and he's the Mister. I'll change my body and Method Man, Method actor. Yeah, and me- I played Rocky and Bullwinkles. I was the first
0: Method actor who played a cartoon. What was a fearless leader.
1: Fearless leader. Yeah. You know, we get in a we and you know meet the parents, right? And yeah. And now he does movies where him and Christopher Walken are like grandparents who have to fight children with plungers and shit, right? And he does Dirty Grandpa. Right? I haven't heard of
0: this Christopher Walken <laughs> oh, film. Yeah, it's
1: a real film. I can't remember the name. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: pretty sure Morgan Freeman's involved too, but I'm not too sure. Oh, so it must be terrible.
1: <laughs> how do you feel about Robert De Niro as an actor and how do you feel about him when you see him in this movie? Going all the way back in time.
0: Yeah, in this film, it was almost hard to think. Oh, there's Robert De Niro acting. It just felt like this isn't Robert De Niro. This is Jake LaMotta. This is this <laughs> is a character who is not an actor. It's it was crazy how well he got into the role. I just <laughs> I didn't see Robert De Niro. I saw the character. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's he's an actor. I'm I'm aware of. I've seen him in a lot of films. Uh, he always does a good job yeah <laughs> yeah
1: why do you think in a way there there was a period of time maybe we're still in it now where people have kind of got uh, sick of him or he became like more of a like uh oh, here we go de niro doing de niro stuff if he's always like solid and transforms and f- fades away into the role he's playing is it because he just has a very recognizable face and mannerisms is that it
0: Maybe it's just over-familiarity.
1: Yeah? You think? Maybe. Do you think you need to do a Daniel Day-Lewis where he makes a film, like, once every decade and (laughs) and and it's, like, the best performance you've ever seen and then he's gone again? Because that's what Daniel Day-Lewis did, right? Like, he barely has that many films in his filmography. Like, when was the last film he made? It was, like, five, six years ago and it's, like, it's his last movie, guys. Like... And before that, he didn't make a movie for, like, a, a, like eight years earlier or something ludicrous. Like, do you think it's that? Like, you think maybe we just had so many movies with De Niro that it's like, oh, hey, you can only transform so many times until we kind of see you're the guy.
0: I guess, Or maybe it's a thing of, like, you're waiting for him to do, like, an auteur director's film.
1: Yeah, you're waiting for him to do, you mean, a good film? <laughs> <laughs> You know, you like meet the parents is like him cashing a check, but The Irishman is him like making arts, mm. right? This movie where him and Christopher Walken play poo pee poo pee pee poo poo, poo poo fights or whatever with grandchildren is like him picking up money, but whatever project he's gonna do next with Scorsese, is the one.
0: Do you think? So I'm really curious about this film. I out. can't tell you what it's. <laughs> I, I name know we is. can't. We're, we're doing. I Raging can't Bull. tell
1: you. <laughs> It's called Godfather 3, no. <laughs> Godfather
0: 4. Oh, the prequel, prequel. Was he in Godfather 3? No, he was in Godfather 2. Yeah, I know he was in 2.
1: No one was, like, no, he wasn't in 3, because he well, couldn't well, play Al- Don Corleone again. Well, wasn't Al Pacino in it? Yeah. So that's someone that was in 3. Duvall wasn't, like, he left. <laughs> um. Mm. So, because he knew, Duvall fucking knew. <laughs> There's a guy. Um. So, when you were re-watching this... Mm-hmm. What did you feel about our main character? Is he like, how did you feel when watching him? He's a very paranoid character, he's very angry, he's abusive, he's toxic. What about that character, that type of character, not just him in this, but that type of character is so viable as something to watch? Because you could just say, what is there to gain? In watching a guy be I just could, terrible for two hours and ten minutes.
0: I could see people, yeah, looking at this character and just thinking, "There's this guy is the worst.
1: <laughs> like Pauline Kael? <laughs> where her film review was, like, so scathing, yet, yet De Niro printed it and kept it on his wall and wrote, like, in red pen, like, yes, so? That was the point? And was stuff that De Niro whatever? or Scorsese? I thought
0: it was De Niro. Okay. I can't remember. I thought it was Scorsese. It doesn't matter. Um... Yeah, the the film goes all in on making him, all giving him all these negative traits. Apparently an original draft made him, was worse. even worse. Um, Apparently he was even worse in real life, because this is a biofilm. Oh yeah, there was that trivia point about him and his wife. Yeah, ex-wife. Uh, sorry, we should mention this was based on a real guy. Yes. And the real guy consulted with the film, worked yeah. with De Niro, and so he—he he, he was on board. He, he was only... on board. His name was in the opening. I'm like, oh, he,
1: he only died in 2017. Oh wow,
0: 95.
1: Isn't that crazy? Yeah, for well, a boxer too. Yeah, That's pretty long.
0: A guy whose big career was in the 40s and 50s, getting punched 50s. in the head. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. His name appears in the credits, and I reckon, and I, you know, I I made a note of it, and then the character was named Jake LaMotta. It's like, oh, it's about that guy. Um- Yeah, the... Sorry, what was the question again? Uh, What
1: is so entertaining about watching someone like Jake LaMotta be the main central focus of the movie when he is just a
0: prick for two hours and ten minutes? I guess there is the whole thing of, like, where is this character going to end up? Is there going to be some sort of, like, silver lining at the end of the story? Um you know, is anyone going to stick around with him? What is this character's end point? This character who begins as a sort of underdog, mm. um, who does make it big. And we know from the opening of the film that he's eventually going to be doing something a lot more poetic, I guess. Or sad. Or sad. Um, he's going to be bigger. Yeah, it's... Uh... Yeah, it's it's just seeing what's going to happen with all his relationships, what's going to happen with his career.
1: But why is that? I always think about this when I watch these type of movies, because I always think about people who don't like these type of movies. Mm. And I ask you, well, why should you be... Why are we invested in seeing that if the character is still so horrible anyway? Like, why are you wanting to see if anyone sticks around, if maybe you yourself don't want to stick around for two hours and ten minutes watching someone with no redeemable qualities, because unlike... Ray Liotta in Goodfellas who was charming at points in that movie correct? Mm-hmm. He had genuine relationships and friendships with
0: people. He wasn't like he was still a bad person and he got what he got. He would some yeah and he from what I remember he would sometimes like give little speeches about things that interested him like cooking and things well, like that.
1: Yeah, you got interiority as well as you could yeah. literally see oh, he had a relationship romantically that was far more romantic than the one Jake has. Why should I care about a guy who has none of that? Because was there any point where Jake LaMotta in this film was genuinely nice or charismatic or anything you would associate with being good? Um... And not just he became pathetic at the end and that made you feel for him in a little bit because pathetic is sympathetic...
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of moments where he is sort of gentler, but then it's all undersold by the fact that, like, he's cheating on his wife at this point, he's clearly, you know, thinking with his dick here when he's, like, going on that date yeah. with Vicky. and Or
1: he's manipulating them with him being nice to see if they'll slip up some information about their, what he thinks their true things are, like, he does a lot mm. of that too. yeah. I put it down to multiple factors. All the stuff you said is, 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 is definitely there. There's just something cathartic, as you like to say, uh, about watching someone self-destruct on screen. Because we ourselves are capable of all the terrible things he is going through. The abusiveness, the anger, the paranoia. We as humans and as individuals, we have that within us. We could easily be that. We aren't. And sometimes it is fascinating to watch someone who is that and to see what makes them tick and what pushes them over and what keeps them back and to see, more importantly in this film, the effect it has on everyone else around him because as that piece of trivia said, Jake LaMotta didn't realize how horrible he was until he saw this movie, and you could see watching this movie, Jake LaMotta at the end of the film kind of doesn't know how horrible he was to everyone around him either. He kind of just thinks about himself, and that is fascinating, especially in a movie like this, watching someone poison the well, and the people around it drink from it, and get sick as well, and seeing how they operate, because as I said, it's to me, it's like, Jake LaMotta isn't the thing that carries me. It's Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci carries me throughout the movie because I feel so fucking sorry for him. Because hes he seems like, outside of, you know, the blatant, terrible things about him that you could associate with him being from the
0: times and him being the brother of Jake LaMotta. Yeah, there's a line earlier on where, like, he's talking to one of the mob guys and mm. they're talking about who's the middleman. <laughs> and really, throughout the film... You really do get this sense of like, oh man, this Joe Pesci is such the middleman in this situation. He yeah. just can't get anything to go like 100% right.
1: Yeah, and you find him sympathetic
0: outside of all these
1: faults of his because he's genuinely trying to make sure that everything goes right. He's sacrificing his own time, his own life... In the benefit of Jake's
0: dream. Yeah, there, there never seems to be a point where... Where Joe Pesci's character, Joey, says, you know, like, finally everything is right. Yeah. It, it always feels like there's always something missing that he has to do. And it's always, usually, Jake needs to step up.
1: Jake is fucking up in some way. He's It always goes back to the rage in the Raging Bull. <laughs> you mm-hmm. always, Jake's rage is always stopping everyone else's happiness around him. And that's why watching a movie for two hours and ten minutes about a guy who's an angry asshole can be really great and cathartic and entertaining and enlightening. Because you see the effects of his rage and his anger not just on himself, as you can see by the very end of the film. I mean, look at him by the end of the film. Just look at him. Look what he's become. Yep. We, haven't said, we haven't said the
0: phrase yet, but character study.
1: It's a character study. Um, and character studies are, f- are great for some people and not so great for others. And Scorsese knows characters. I would say, to me, the great strength of Scorsese as a filmmaker, you, you know, obviously he knows how to shoot a scene. And he knows how to direct an actor. He knows what music he needs. He knows all these things. To me, my thing that draws me into Scorsese is he knows how important characters are to his films.
0: All the films we listed earlier, like Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, this. It's
1: (laughs) always, always, always about the characters to Mm. me. When I come to Scorsese... Tarantino, he has other things. Like He has fun characters. His is about his writing, right? Like yeah, his yeah. creepy dialogue and the set pieces. I come to Scorsese for character. And when I say character, that also carries with it theme. Yep. And Scorsese's characters are not likable people a lot of the time. Rarely are they ever. Just They're not Jimmy Stewart characters, right? <laughs> Rarely. Sometimes you do get good people characters from him, but overall, they're usually duplicitous, narcissistic, egocentric, angry characters who feel like they're owed more than what they are. Mm. And that story is fun. And that's where we talk, oh, this is, you know, well trodden ground for Scorsese. Mm -hmm. Um, I like... When I watch a film like this, I notice the things that Scorsese that aren't as typical Scorsese or what we know of Scorsese now. What I was noticing was no narration. Um, although Jake's the main character in a way, it does feel like um, everyone's kind of split, like character duty. It feels very ensemble in in the way there's really three characters.
0: Yeah, I can see what you mean.
1: Like, Jake's very important, but in comparison to Scorsese's other character study films like King of Comedy, uh, Goodfellas, so on and so forth, it doesn't feel as 100% Jake is the main character, he is his arc in Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. Like, it feels like... Joe Pesci has the exact... Like, he has that as well. It's more obvious to me. That also helps because there is no central narration of our interiority of the character. Mm-hmm. I also appreciate, to me, about Raging Bull. Um, Jake LaMotta is a very internalized character as well. Like, a lot of the stuff you have to pick up from him is internalized. We have to look at Robert De Niro and look at his face and determine what he's thinking. Yeah. While in other films... They're very out loud characters. Right? Mm-hmm. Look at Joe Pesci in this movie. Now look at it in Goodfellas. Night and day difference of what what I'm talking about there. Of Joe Pesci's such an internalised character in this movie. The things that he doesn't say are the things that are really important in this. Or the things that he clearly wants to say. While him in Goodfellas, it's about all the loud shit he does. Yeah, he's very much out with his id. Exactly, and he's uncontrollable. As is Jake LaMotta in this, but I don't know, there's just that kind of element. And I love Scorsese when he has characters who do monologues. I'm pretty sure you do too, when a character just stands there and says some really long monologue. A good monologue is good. And that comes from narrations as well. But I was noticing that this film, it feels like it's been a little while since we've had him in this way in Scorsese, of it's just a
0: lot of duologues. Just two people... Just talking in a room. Like I said, one of the only things I remembered from my first viewing was the two brothers talking.
1: And that's, like, some of the most captivating stuff. Like, like my personal favorite scene doesn't even involve Jake Lamada. It's the scene in which Joe Pesci's sitting down with the mob boss guy.
0: After the forgiveness thing. After the yeah. forgive
1: forgive each other, let it be bygones, be bygones. That's my favorite scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Cause it says it's just Joe Pesci trying to help other people understand the abusive relationship he's in, (laughs) which is insane, right? Mm. So I really enjoy that aspect about Raging Bull when I look at it in the landscape of Scorsese as well, how where he's gone. Where it's like to me, Scorsese has great, great character interaction scenes, but a lot of them now are kind of like a character monologues to another character, and then the other character has a few interactions, but. This one is, like, so even-handed in the characters' dialogues to one another and their character actions. How do you feel about that? Because I think you're a little bit more of a viewer of moderner Sc- Scorsese stuff, or at least not this early-on Scorsese.
0: Yeah, the the films that I've mentioned already, Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, are, are more recent. I've I've also seen Taxi Driver, but it's been so long I'd need to re-watch it. Just yeah, I've like seen this. The Departed. I've seen The Departed. The yeah, I saw that on a flight once. The uh, Departed. <laughs> I remember that was fun. It is. It's a very good film. Yeah, I, that's another one I want to re- I, th- This is a director who makes things that if I've only seen them once, I want to rewatch them.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but what do you feel about the, some of the stuff I, I was saying there? Because you were saying at the beginning, like, you know, this is familiar territory for, for some Scorsese beats, but even in the ones that you listed, that those things don't have as prevalently what I'm talking about. What do you think about that?
0: It's a very good point, yeah it's the, the the writing gets a lot more focused when you have duologues and this film is just full of them yeah I'm, I'm thinking back on the film and again, we talked about how it's listed as a sports film in a lot of places, but it's really all about the drama and like we said, the two hours of the film that isn't the sports is mostly character interaction
1: yeah, yeah did you have a favorite scene?
0: I don't know about favourite scene, but one that did catch my attention a lot was uh, Jake LaMotta's scene when he's at his restaurant, you know, yeah. when he's doing the yeah. performance and, like, he's, he's... You'll never guess the name of the place. <laughs> <laughs> Jake LaMotta's. Yeah, he's, like, doing the performance and I'm gauging, like, okay, so where's this character gone since, you know, this time skip? He's not a boxer anymore. He... He's a lo- lounge lizard. He's... <laughs> he's a lounge lizard that owns the place. He... He seems like he might be a bit more sociable, but he's like letting slip all, a lot of these like sleazy lines and then a few interactions later, you're like oh no he he's still a sleaze he just mono he just gave a big speech about how much he loves his wife and like the eleventh anniversary is coming up, and now he's kissing two girls as a means to determine if they're twenty one or not.
1: I mean, even in his monologue about loving his wife he 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 couldn't help but fuck it up at the beginning of it, like the delivery of it like he had some fumble. Over like my wife and I are getting married. Oh wait, no, no. Like he fumbles <laughs> and he's like, "Is she here? God, I hope not." That kind of thing. Like even then, and even
0: before that, he was seeing what a sexy girl sounds like on a yeah, microphone. exactly.
1: Even then, the facade, yeah, that he wants to put up. He doesn't even successfully do it because he's just not very good.
0: Yeah, but but he's still got like this slightly more charming presenter kind of vibe going about him Uh, well you
1: mean it's because he's talking not just silently looking at you like he wants to hit you yeah (laughs) like he was in the rest of the movie yeah that was a great scene I really liked um, following from that later when the the cops come and they're like, she's 14, Jake. And then he's like, come on, seriously. You're
0: going to look at this and tell me? You're going to look at this tell me. You hear the cop being like, oh, I know, Jake. <laughs> like, like what? Well, they agree, but they're like, yeah, yeah. it's the it's law, Jake. <laughs> yeah. And and jumping back, it, after the fight where... Uh, it's one of the fights he loses and mm-hmm. and like he's in the, the changing room and he's like, I just want to be left alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene, his performance also kind of captivated me a little bit because it's like... A lot of the people are upset in this scene, you know, like he's been cheated out of a victory after the guy came out winning, but he looked like he was about to die. Mm. Um, It it was the first boxing fight after
1: him and Vicky kind of started getting together, like he had that scene at the barbed wire fence or whatever, the chain fence.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the lines was that she wanted to come talk to him to cheer him up and he's like, I just want to be alone. Like everyone was upset in that scene, but I feel like he was the least upset. It seems,
1: yeah, internally he was internalizing it a lot more. But then he lets it out when when he had to take the fall, and he's like wailing like a little baby about it the,
0: the whole time. Yeah, like the way I saw it was like, in a way, I'm trying to say that maybe he wasn't really all that upset about the 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 outcome. I feel like in a way the fact that he was able to rage and let loose was, like, what he wanted to get out of it. A lot of people were saying, like, oh, you know, you really did win that fight. And I think, like, inside he knew that he won that fight. Oh, yeah, and
1: that's, I- what, that's what I think. I think when it comes to that, he, ration- he can rationalise it because he's like, no, I did it, I did it. And then that's what makes the scene that I keep talking about where, where he, he takes the fall. Yeah. And he cries. Because it's like... There is no justification he can make for it. He did sell out every piece of value he had. Mm -hmm. And it's like a lot of his actions in the movie, the, the paranoia, the beating of his wife, all this stuff, in a large portion of it, it's internalized in his brain that the rationale is like, I have to do this because this is the right thing in some way. Like, she shouldn't be cheating on me. Yeah. Because I'm her husband and she should love me and I should be enough. So it's justified, right? But then there's no justification he can make when he loses a fight on purpose. In comparison to when it's stolen from him. That he can be like, well, that's just unfair. But I know
0: I did my best and I didn't sell out my values. Well, yeah, and in a way, I think, yeah, he got what he wanted out of it. And yeah. then it's further followed up in when he loses the title later in the film mm. and, like, he doesn't get knocked down. Like, he, he <laughs> yeah. gloats about it. It's like, hey, you didn't knock me down. He's not, like, upset. He's like, yeah, you didn't... You didn't... You didn't harm what I value.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, it's such a fucking great movie.
0: And, he, and even as sad as it was that, like, yeah, he, he sold out, it's like the scene itself was kind of funny because... <laughs> He punched the guy, and it's like, oh, shit, it hurt him too much. Yeah, yeah, now this, Oh, yeah, yeah, the now this, fight. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Now this guy's, like, trying to beat on him, and it's like, dude, you're not doing anything, and I have to drop this fight.
1: Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, so bad. I, um, I always forget how violent boxing is until you watch Raging Bull, mm. because in Rocky, it's like, oh, whatever, oh, no, Apollo died in the ring, boo-hoo, that's the same movie in which they ran on the beach, I'm pretty sure um well that was the oh was that not the same one
0: that's the fourth film so they'd be in russia
1: oh right 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 which i can't remember rocky
0: three is the one where he became his trainer i think
1: oh and that's one where they run on the beach
0: i think so either way
1: the point being is this film that's shot in black and white got across the visceral violent and brutal nature of boxing to me more so than any of the Rocky movies
0: ever did. So many close-ups of blood coming out of face,
1: and the blood dripping off the, yeah. the ropes, mm-hmm. and and the crowd being sprayed with it. I love that shot too.
0: <laughs> Those are the judges, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, the judges, <laughs> and there were
0: some people behind the judges that were just crowd, and they're like, Eah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. funny when it's the judges though.
1: Oh, it's very, but it's still like, Eah. Ugh. Maybe, like, I, I didn't think about that. There's also
0: like the bloody sponge thing. Of course. The mm. bloody
1: sponge. Um, yeah, I like um, another scene that really we have to talk about. I think it's one of the best acted scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. Go on. And little happens. And when we say acted scenes, you know, people, I think there's this thing where it's like, oh, that means they're crying, or yelling, or waving their hands in the air. The scene is, Joe Pesci's sitting on a couch, and De Niro's just leaning up against the TV he's fixing. And that scene is where he's like, did you fuck my wife? That is one of the most brilliant performances from De Niro and Pesci. See, I think this is Pesci's best performance. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that statement on its own? Because Goodfellas was obviously one that people point to. I think he got an Oscar
0: for that, didn't he? He did, or? yeah. Um, Great speech. Um, yeah, that one's definitely a lot more to bring back the word cathartic, because he's yeah. all id, he's going crazy, It's mm. he's quotable. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, this one is a lot more restrained. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And he still tells you to go fuck yourself a lot. Yeah, the the, the fact that he is sh- more noticeably short than Robert De Niro really serves his character well. He's the yeah. younger brother, who's he's the, not the action guy. Not this is you know, this isn't Schwarzenegger. I don't mean that by action, but he he's weaker. Um, he's he's the one that's trying to rationalize everything, and he's got just this big idiot that he has to work with.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could say that was his character in Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> <laughs> Just he's rationalizing it and he's got this big idiot he has to work with. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I think this is his his best role. Pesci is is an absolute stunner and we always say, Oh De Niro, De Niro, De Niro, what a great actor.
0: All yeah. these Oscars he deserves and You really miss Pesci when he leaves the film.
1: Yeah, and then you feel so wow when he comes back. But that scene, the two of them, and, you know, De Niro's accusing him and he's refusing to answer things. The scene plays out with a lot of ambiguity of what's going on. Does he act? Did he actually? Did he not? Is he not responding because he feels guilty and he can't lie to his brother? Or is he not responding because he's sick? of having to play his brother's sick, twisted mind games all the time. Mm. What is the scenario, the The way the actors play it? You could say it's one way and I'll believe you, and I could say it's another and you'd believe me. Mm. It is two people, for the most part, sitting or squatting. No need to run or stand up and shout. It is just Joe Pesci quietly pulling at his fingernails and just saying, I don't don't want to answer that. I just don't want to answer that. What did you think about that scene? And where do you fall on what happened there with Pesci? Like, did he actually do the deed or
0: not? Aside from the fact that he was avoiding mentioning what happened at the restaurant, I was with him uh, with with everything that he was saying. Like, I can see why you might think that, like... Mm. He He's not being as forceful with his his dodging of, like, why do I answer that? I do see him as being this kind of... Actually, it's a sort of different reaction of, like, he's so disgusted that, like, the questioning, the paranoia has gotten to this level... Yeah. That he he doesn't even want to give it the respect of a simple no, because it should be a given that he wouldn't do such a thing.
1: And it's also the first time in the movie proper where... De Niro's paranoia has been pointed to Pesci in that manner,
0: right? Yeah, because he's listing out all these people and it's like, oh, why'd you mention yourself? Why'd you mention yourself? And even, and like throughout the film, you know, I understood this character and I understood, like, you know, how he'd react to certain things and then it'd happen. Like when, at the beginning of the scene, when Vicky kisses Mm -hmm. Pesci, I was like, oh man, that's going to be a thing. And it was. (laughs) was. I I think that moment where he was like, why'd you mention yourself? was one of the only times where I was, like, lost for a second. It's was like, where are you going with this? Oh, really? I understand <laughs> a little, exactly. A because, little bit. Because he put himself
1: in with the group of guys that De Niro does suspect. of Yeah, but the but headless. see,
0: I was on Pesci's side so much that I was like, yeah, these are all the people that, like, he's giving attitude you to. You see, I've
1: been on Pesci's side too, but then sometimes I'm, I understand because the filmmaking shows us not in such an overt way. Mm-hmm. In a very subtle way, it does get us in De, De-, De Niro's headspace, in a way, at yeah. points, doesn't well, of it? Of course, yeah. But not in the way, like, you know, in the end of Goodfellas, where, like, Hank Hill is... Hank Hill. <laughs> the Mike Judge episode, everyone.
0: <laughs> Hank Hill. <laughs> Ray Liotta?
1: Ray Liotta. He's a Hill. His last name's Harry Hill? I can't remember what it is he's... he's a Hill. Oh, there was something like that. Either way. Where he's, like, losing his mind, he's, like, high on drugs, he's like, you gotta stir that sauce, and I've gotta go over here in the helicopters, and, like, you're so in that character, Yeah, head yeah, the stressful that scene, That you're yeah. feeling like a fever dream. Doesn't do that with De Niro's character, yet De Niro's character has that level of hysteria about the whole entire affair, yet you feel it, because we know for a fact that he is hiding stuff from De Niro. Yeah. And in turn, what's he hiding from us, the audience? Because as good-natured as Pesci's character is, as Joey is, and as we can understand why dealing with De Niro's fucking behavior in this movie would make you react like that, we know for a fact that in the past he has tried to sleep with her because he went on dates with them in the hopes of fuck her. Yeah. They have this weird bond that we don't see form on screen that's just formed over time, him and Vicky. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting, you could just say like, well that would naturally happen, and of course of course, but the fact that we don't see and we know, like I said we know he does lie to him, and does do it effectively, when at the beginning he's like you know I can't lie to you, you would see right through it blah blah blah, yet as the film goes along there are many times in which Pesci deceives him and De Niro doesn't find out in the moment he finds out later, and then it's played off by Pesci like oh well you know that it all under the bridge now blah 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 it's all gone blah time's moved on hey, I didn't mean anything bad hey, it all worked out in the end that kind of deal so the fact that there are those pieces of breadcrumbs for the Jake Lamada character to feel that there is so rewarding because it doesn't just feel like it's out of nowhere paranoia we as the audience can see those things are there but like you said Jake LaMotta is such an un relatable, volatile character when he goes, oh, you put yourself in with them, did you? Kind of deal. You have to side with Pesci because it's like uh, you're dealing with someone who's just gone off the deep end here, but at the same time because of the storytelling and the filmmaking. What we do and don't know about Joey does show us the audience the ability of why Jake LaMotta feels this way about his own brother. Mm -hmm. His own brother. And the fact that we don't get very much of Vicky, too also doesn't help anything, but I feel sorry for her so much, but then you watch the start of the film and he was like, this is with his first wife the exact same fucking way, and you're like of course it plays out like this, of course it does. Mm-hmm. He um, wanted that
0: steak oh god. then he got the steak, then he footed the table.
1: You're an animal! <laughs> no, you're a fucking animal your dog will be dead in the hallway by morning oh Jesus <laughs> <laughs> what did you feel about, um When it came to the end of the film, it it jumps forward and we're at the... You know, he's later in life. And we had the beginning where we had the scene of him in the dressing room prepping himself. Mm -hmm. What did you think about that? For the most part, this film does do time jumping, but it's only like a couple of years. So you have De Niro fairly like this is the stage of his life. And then you skip forward like 20, 25 years in the future for the third act What did you think of that? Because that is a big creative decision to make that Mm -hmm. we have criticized in the past or have, have the ability to criticize when a movie or
0: TV show or something does a time jump. What do you think? Yeah, this, it, it, even though this is a film that came way later, it did remind me of, like, the ending portion of The Irishman, where you just see mm. how much Robert De Niro's life has, you know, mm. everything that he's grown with has is gone. He's the only one left in his life now. Mm. Um, and it was the same here. Uh, like I said, I really enjoyed that la moda's restaurant scene mm. because it just showed us like oh he he's changed a little bit in the way he presents himself but he's still you know a despicable person and he's very openly sleazy <laughs> he's gotten worse <laughs> he's gotten worse um it did, yeah i i i read there was a trivia point that I was mentioning that uh we mentioned the trivia a lot uh that good good trivia good trivia there was plenty plenty of things to think about Um, there were like some members of the crew thought that it was a redemption story and then there were others that thought it wasn't a redemption story. you mean
1: Scorsese and De Niro thinks it's a redemption story and the writer, Paul Schrader, doesn't think it's a redemption story and thinks (laughs) that putting on the Bible quote at the end is just Scorsese trying to tack on that there's a redemption for him? Mm. I was going to ask about that. (laughs) Do you think this is a redemption story or do you think he... Finds as it says at the end. Do you think he goes from being blind to being able to see? What do you think about that?
0: I wouldn't use the word redemption. No, I, I think that this is a film. the 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 ending of this film is him trying to make peace with the decisions that he made. How? Just trying to trek on, even after you know all all the fucks up, fucks up, fuck ups he made. He's he's still trying to keep at what he's doing. Mm. Um, it's obviously getting worse for him, but yeah. but he's, you know, he hasn't stopped trying. He's, he's still a bull who's charging ahead.
1: Yeah, but, see, I don't find this a redemption story. I agree with Paul Schrader, the writer. I agree. I agree too, yeah. But more depressingly than you, when he... To me, when Pesci when it's Pesci at the end, right, and he's like a little old man, and he's kissing him, and he's like telling him, "Hey, forget about it. It's in the past now. We can forgive each other." And Pesci's like, "Yeah, I'll I'll call you or whatever." I don't look at that as like a potential for happiness. I look at it as just De Niro, like Jake LaMotta, is just forcing himself onto his brother because he conveniently saw him.
0: I'm not saying it's a happy ending for Joe Pesci at all, or that he did the right thing. No, but
1: (laughs) but I don't think he learns anything. I don't think so either. I don't think he has any form of redemption. I don't think him charging ahead and... I don't think he's trying to be a good or make good or whatever. I think he just is doing what he's always done, which is just pull others towards him and bring them down with him. Because at the end, it's just this pathetic old fat guy still thinking he's the king mm. after having sold his championship belt or fucking it up in the process of trying to sell it. and he's just like this pathetic, decrepit old fool. and I look at it more as in terms of the the biblical quote at the end, which of course of course AZ, and everyone has talked about what that actually means. don't care. this is what I get out of it, like the you know, blind and now we see type of a deal. I think it's more for us the audience in terms of, hey, at the end of this story, we now see what this type of behavior leads to. Mm-hmm. This, I'm the big guy, I'm the champ, I'm the best, everything's important because I say it is, it leads to ruin. Yep. And that's what I get. I think it's okay to see a movie about a character who, in a way, doesn't learn anything, because if the movie chastises them for that, instead of rewarding them, depends the piece, but in this context then it is satisfying because at the end of the day his life is terrible to the point in which jake lamada the real guy did not realize what a prick he was until he saw this movie and then even his ex-wife said you're still much worse than that imagine that too like this is the tame version because he was hitting her and Fucking doing all these terrible things, and you know you were worse.
0: Yeah. I, I, I mostly agree with all that. I think I just said it a bit more of an uplifting way. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Yeah,
1: you had a more uplifting way of seeing the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm saying like this is more like bleak and depressing for him, but as an audience member, it's again cathartic. You know, I know you know what I mean when I say this, and I don't know. Maybe you could. Let's verbalize let's, yeah. this statement because we both come from this background and we know Scorsese is as well. Mm-hmm. It's a very Catholic film, isn't it? It has a very Catholicy vibe in terms of that stuff. That very old-school Catholic biblical vibe in terms of that. What do you think about that statement? Because he's a very Catholic filmmaker, Scorsese.
0: Yeah, a lot of... A lot of the family scenes, I really get a kind of Catholic-y vibe from them. It's like, there's the wife, there's the kids, they're all together at the table. Yeah. Even though they break into, like, all this swearing, there's always a basis of, like, manners and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, there is a sort of, like... Catholic vibe there was like i think there was like a cross above a bed at one point yeah
1: yeah yeah i there was a there was a priest at one point
0: yeah 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 they're very in with a priest and you know they, they treat that priest with respect even Except though for they don't <laughs> because
1: they make sex jokes at him i look at it in this way a lot too with a character like jake i always get reminded of In Catholicism, there's this central notion, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I've been active in it, so you can tell me... Let's see if I remember. ...that we're born with sin. And we have to work our way with our deeds in life and our good intentions to work off of that, to be able to go to heaven. Isn't that the idea
0: we're born with sin because of the death of Jesus? Uh, The the death of Jesus was forgiveness for the original sin. For the original sin, but... And, And the whole thing with us now is that We will commit sin in life, but as long as we apologise for it and we continue to try to strive to do good works, then we will uh, be able to enter heaven.
1: And that's what I feel about this movie, but it's someone who doesn't understand that. Mm. And I don't... And it's not like the film has this, but it's just... I know Scorsese is a filmmaker, and I know Catholic filmmakers, like Calvary, the, that film, where that's mm-hmm. a literal Catholic priest, is yep. a central character, but that film's very Catholic. It is very Catholic. Even though it's yeah. like the disillusionment of Catholicism. Same with In Bruges than other films that those two guys make. There's just something very Catholic about this movie, and when it ends and has the biblical quote, of course it makes me feel, ooh, this is a really Catholic <laughs> experience. And as two people... Who have participated in that in that faith or still do.
0: We have some sort of basis. You in understand it,
1: yeah. what I'm getting at, right? It may yeah. be still hard to get this across in a review and a discussion, but there's just something something there. And of course Scorsese will go on later to do the last temptation of Christ. <laughs> I forgot that it was him. Of course it was him. Hmm. And then he did that other movie with um Andrew Garfield as a priest and uh Liam Neeson is like a priest who goes off and Goes rogue and they have to go get him. And I can't remember what it was called. It was, uh, I don't know that I've heard of this one. Yeah, it was a few years ago. People didn't like it because it was boring and Catholic. <laughs> but I, 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 I remembered I enjoyed it. I got, oh, I, you've I, seen it. Okay. Yeah. I just, I, I've just forgotten the name. Got Adam Driver as well, briefly. Mm. Um, yeah. And it's like, yeah, they have to go get him from, I think it was the Japanese or something. They, the old, back in the day when priests and Catholics were going to try and spread the religion to other places and then it's like to Asian countries. like, oh, is it, go fuck yourself. Is this in the 1500s? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This oh. is period piece. It's oh, okay. Period piece.
0: period piece. Okay, I didn't, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, ah,
1: man, I'm forgetting it, but sounds, someone will that tell so, me.
0: Sounds interesting. You say people didn't like it?
1: See, I, it's because it's Scorsese being religious Scorsese. People didn't like The Last Temptation of Christ either. Hmm. I mean, religious people didn't like that one either because obviously Mary Magdalene um, was a heavy player in that right yeah yeah people don't like people don't like that
0: people don't like women people don't like jesus secretly had a lover but he talks to a lion at one point and has a thick new york accent <laughs> and david bowie's pontius pilot <laughs> um what else do you want to discuss with this there was something but we had so much fun just now that i've forgotten <laughs> oh black and white
1: oh yes i think this is one of the most gorgeous looking movies i've ever seen and i cannot imagine this in color There are some movies where they're in black and white, even if they are from the times in which there was only black and white, where I imagine what they would look like in color. Mm -hmm. I do not have this for this movie. This movie is black and white. I do not imagine this in color. It is too perfect in black and white. There's many reasons, apparently, in the behind the scenes, or one, you know, who knows, but
0: certain colours didn't look right and things or, like that. Or it matches Jake LaMotta's
1: autobiography and so on in a time period. Either way, it's the perfect choice to me. But how do you feel about the look of this film? How do you feel about films that are in black and white when they're from an era in which we no longer need it? Mm-hmm. What do you feel about that? Because we know that there are some people who hate that. But what do you feel about that?
0: I think it fits the mood perfectly as well. Yeah, it... Uh... It gives it an old, feely tone. Uh, it, it matches the era in which the film was made. I know that we've done... We've done 40s films on this podcast that were yeah. in colour. Um, but uh, those have mostly been comedies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where I guess, you know, colour and comedy kind of you know mesh well together. Um, certainly not saying it's always the case, Charlie Chaplin. Um, but... Yeah, this film this this film actually does have a segment section where there is color. It's the yeah. the the wedding videos. Yeah, yeah, Which were different cinematographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to use fun. the word cinematographer, apparently it's just a random crew member. Um yeah, there was like wedding videos, home movie videos. Mm. Um and they had a completely different tone. If you mm. want to know what it looks like in color, look at that. Yeah. And then be done with it. <laughs>
1: Because we, when we commented about Ed Wood, when we did Ed Wood, mm-hmm. we had one or two people comment on that episode saying, oh, uh, well, there's only like Schindler's List or whatever that should... those that, that movie's the only one that it's actually good being in black and white when we live in a world in which we don't need it. And I listed off like... like Oh, yeah, 15, you did, yeah. Fifteen <laughs> or so movies. And one of them was Sin City. Um, because a lot of that's in black and white. And it does the Schindler's List effect, where there are some bits of the black and white image in colour. Yeah,
0: That one has yellow or something? Right? Yeah, it has a
1: few. but uh, yeah. And then he's like, it doesn't count because of this. And yet the example with Schindler's List was the one that he used as, like, it's perfect when it does that. Yet Schindler's List also does that effect sometimes too. So, fuck it. <laughs> but overall, I just wanted to bring that up because I think if a piece is in black and white, it doesn't draw me away from it. Sometimes it will draw me in. It will be like, ooh, it's in black and white. And I think you can have movies that aren't like Raging Bull, where it's like, oh, it's in a time period and blah, 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 where it can be black and white. *A Erase Ahead. *A Race Ahead. I can't imagine that movie in color fuck me, I can't imagine that movie in colour. And yet, when I think of David Lynch, I think of his colours in his movies and how much they pop or, or drain away. Or like That's what I liked about Holland Drive, like the visuals and the colour palette of that movie. Same with Blue Velvet, but I can't imagine a race ahead in colour. can't mm. imagine it. And that film isn't set in 1942. It's <laughs> set in, I don't know when, actually.
0: Uh, I don't know this is, I haven't seen the film, but it was made in the mid-70s, right?
1: It was made over several years, but yes. Right, yeah. Yes. But, um, and again, Elephant Man. I mean, that's a period piece movie as well, but I can't imagine that
0: one again. Yeah, costs. it was the same year as this film, right? Yeah, same year. It was the competing film.
1: There was several black and white movies going on
0: around this time. Huh? Bo- both films had an I'm not an animal quote.
1: <laughs> yeah, do you think that we could get a really successful black and white movie again anytime soon? Like, we had Roma. I was about
0: to say we had Roma the other year. And The Artist a few years back. That was 2012, I believe.
1: Yeah, a few years back. Yeah,
0: both won an Oscar into in the field of this is the best this type of movie.
1: Yeah, I like black and white movies. They're fine to me. Um, I can't think of what else to say about Raging Bull. I think it's a masterpiece, baby.
0: I think the only thing where I'm like, what was that decision? Mm-hmm. And even then, it's something that I'm kind of like, oh, I guess it's not a big deal. Is in the pr- in the prison cell scene when he's punching the wall. Yeah. And I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the sound effects for him hitting the wall were very like fleshy. Felt like they were meant. The sound effects were meant to be used for like hitting other people, not a wall.
1: Oh, I I don't have any issue with that. He was literally smacking his head against a wall. It sounded like a flesh hitting solid object.
0: It sounded like flesh hitting another fleshy thing though. To me, it, it didn't hmm. kind of have like the kind of. Impact against like a hard thing.
1: How about you fix that scene and instead add rubber ducky sounds or something? <laughs> and it could be like nothing but trouble. Yeah, like a squeaky sound. Squeak. It'll be <coughs> like Kong Pao, <laughs> where it's like Wimplow's shoes. <laughs> right? And then when they kill him, you hear
0: his shoes. And then afterwards, like when Nero like rubs his head because it hurts, he'll go like. If you go and, by the way, we want to do Kung Pao at some point, but so. we're not because next
1: episode we're being recommended one by the listening people out there. Oh, we're done. With the, uh, we're done with right. the discussion Shit, that now. Was, that was really quick. I decided. <laughs> the we, review's over. We both recommend the film.
0: <laughs> I didn't say that, but I do. But you do.
1: Now you said it. Yeah. So we both recommend it. Mm-hmm. Next episode, we're being recommended a film by our good friend Will.
0: Oh, Wet Wild Will.
1: Wet and Wild Will recommended a film that involves no wet or will, but a lot of wild stuff. We're going to be doing Tremors. Ooh. The Kevin Bacon wormy classic Tremors, which I'm pretty sure you haven't seen no i haven't i have so we'll be talking about that one next time on the pod hopefully our friend will can stop on by and give us his thoughts on the whole experience as well but we'll see how the world will or will not fall apart until then uh bartek where can the people find us you on can the f- internet not, not in real life Fuck. don't, give them, don't give them your address.
0: I was no I was literally about to say you can find us on the internet but then you <laughs> said where the, they can find us on the internet so that joke's gone um, you can find us on the internet at various websites including Facebook we have a page called Spit and Polish Presents you can find us on YouTube on a channel of the same name we're on Twitter with the same name yep uh, you can email us directly at spit and polished at Mm gmail.com and on any of these platforms you can testify you can be catholic uh you can be (laughs) non-catholic if you want
1: i don't really classify testifying as a very catholic thing that feels like a very baptisty thing
0: oh right yes sorry i I was like but i was mixing up christian and catholic yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we're both. Honestly, uh, f- At the un- end of unusual day, it's for me. The followers of Christ. Unusual for me. That's a word that I associate with The Simpsons because Bart had that one song. It's like testify. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, on any of those platforms, you can ask us a question. You can give us a recommendation for every third episode of Pictures Power when we do a listening people's choice because every recommendation goes on the list. Uh, abuse that as you will. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we sometimes post things about the films that we've recently covered. Uh, yeah, you can you can just say whatever you want. Certainly, people on YouTube say whatever they want. You can too.
1: Yeah, they let us they let us know their names and say hi. Uh, Bartek, a pleasure as usual. What Mike Judge reference do you want to end this episode on? Because for some reason we got on a lot of Mike Judge on this, and I don't know why. It just it just happened like that. I think it's, it all started
0: from you just speaking really
1: fast and maybe me think of Boomhauer.
0: Well, you asked me how my day was, so that was the yeah, only yeah, response. Yeah, Boomhauer. Um, Hang on, Boomhauer. We can say, I like sex. There you go. Because we did Idiocracy a few weeks ago, so that's the thing. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. I got the joke. I like explaining the joke because when you explain, uh, people say you shouldn't explain the joke, but when you explain the joke, you become smarter about making jokes. And that's the reason why you should always explain the joke.